0: Dr. Hooman. Uh, How are you
1: doing? Alhamdulillah. Absolutely. Welcome to Great. the UK
0: and thank, thank you yourself. so much for collaborating with us um, as we are trying to tackle religious OCD for our theme this year mm-hmm. so um, without further ado I'll let you introduce yourself for our
1: viewers. Sure oh. yeah I mean first of all thank you for the invitation it's definitely an honor and also being in the UK my second time but this time i'm really getting an opportunity to sort of interact with this community uh, and it's kind of amazing how this came together when you guys had the theme aligned for um, your work that you want to focus on around religious lcd then right at the same time we were working on similar things and we just released the book so from this kind of you know, divine yeah. alignments. You know, we came across your
0: book, actually, and decided we absolutely have to reach out, mm-hmm. you know, because this is an area that we have seen growing sure. in the last couple of years, um, and our statistics show that as well, so we, we definitely thought this is an area that we want to work yeah. with. Um, absolutely. And you are part of the Khalil Center, yeah. so you want to tell us a bit more sure. about the absolutely. Khalil
1: absolutely. Center? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, Khalil Center started off in 2010. So I'm the founder and executive director of political center, Alhamdulillah. And so, you know, the initial idea was that we recognize that, you know, um, American Muslims and, and Muslims in Western countries and even in, in many parts of the world, even including in the Muslim world where I work currently as well, um, we find that they're less or more reluctant to seek out mental health care than other populations. Um, And one of the things that we noticed is that part of the reason why they're reluctant is because many Muslims want uh, mental health care delivered through an Islamically integrated perspective. They want spirituality, they want religion to be an important part of the treatment process. And so they actually are looking for individuals who possess those competencies. And because it wasn't widely available, and we had this sort of divide between professionals Muslim professionals or just professionals who are not Muslim, and then imams, we would often see them going more towards imams, and they would want mental uh, mental health professionals, despite the fact that they're dealing with mental issues, not necessarily spiritual issues. Yeah. Just so, ringing their
0: phone up in the middle of the night, and I'm right. going through
1: this. Yeah. yeah, or just continuously showing up at their office, and yeah. you know, and of course imams are not necessarily trained to do this, and it's not their expertise nor. Many communities or offices get set up that way, with some exceptions. Certainly, some imams may have gotten kind of experience on the job doing it for a long time and gotten pretty good at it, but there's really nothing that prepares imams to deal with mental health um, conditions, Uh, particularly because I've, you know, sort of gone through uh, religious training, Islamic studies, to part of this curriculum and be on the receiving end of Islamic studies curriculums as well to know that this does not exist in our in our religious studies curriculums. Um, and so that kind of got me thinking about this need to sort of bridge these two yeah, worlds. And despite the fact that we may not necessarily cover it in Islamic studies curriculums, because obviously you can only cover so much and there's a focus, it's a sort of objective. I came across so much literature, right, in the Islamic tradition around Mental health and psychology and treatment and whatnot. And so that inspired me to want to really, inspired me even more to want to make this bridge more and more a reality. And so that culminated eventually in the the formation of Will Center, where I just started to offer this kind of on my own. And then I was shortly joined by some friends and colleagues. And subhanAllah, it's grown to become the largest provider of mental health services in North America with over 50. you know, practitioners over ninety staff with five different offices, and then even international work because, uh, you know, I'm in mean, Istanbul currently, yeah. um, teaching in the program and working with the students there, as well as you know, recently as well, a kind of a recent development is also consulting for the development of a similar program, a graduate program in some Islam- Islamically integrated psychology, at, uh, at, okay. at in at Kocaeli University, so you can kind of see it's really taken off a lot more quickly than I would have um, imagined, but it really does speak to 13 years ago when we're looking at the quote-unquote stigma and people don't want to come, but then when you realize that you provide treatment in a way that really speaks to a need, like you speak to the barrier and you lift that barrier through a facilitator like spiritual, spirituality integrated with mental health, See that the floodgates kind of just opened up open, yeah. yeah
0: exactly subhanallah so, subhanallah you're doing amazing work yes. are any plans to come to the uk
1: yeah well you know certainly i'm open to coming you know i i, I enjoy the uk communities. uh wonderful okay. so we'll, we'll see. see wherever allah all takes us
0: but moving a bit on to religious OCD. So there's a lot of confusion about what it is. And I know a lot of Muslims experience it as, in some form or another. So can you just shed some light on generally what is religious OCD? Yeah. What are the symptoms that you know Muslims sure. don't typically experience?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so OCD, um, there's a subtype of OCD called OCD scrupulosity. Or in other words, religious OCD. And I'll get to what we kind of call that in Islamic terms or in Muslim cultures. What we refer to that uh, simply waswasa, but I'll kind of delineate what you know what that is. But um, OCD is really like two major parts. It starts with these obsessions and intrusive thoughts that are uncomfortable that people generally don't want, and it generates in them a fear, right? A fear of some catastrophe that may or may not happen, or the loss of something valuable. For example, an individual, when it comes to what we call scrupulosity, this is the overlap or intersection between religion and, or their religious beliefs, and um, their condition of OCD. Their obsessions become fixated on things like, you know, did I I make wudu properly? Uh, Did I pray properly? And that they may, you know, wonder and feel anxious about that. Oh, did I make a statement of kufr? Did I think a blasphemous thought and then did that take me out of the fold stem? Did I incidentally or accidentally divorce my wife, for example? Um, character defects I, I thought of something evil. Does that mean I'm an evil person? And so, oftentimes, it's about trying to get rid of these thoughts that feel very uncomfortable that they don't want. And some of the ways that people try to address these thoughts and the anxiety that's generated. For example, somebody says, I don't know if I prayed I did my wudu properly, I may miss the spot. Oh wait, that means that my prayer is not accepted if I didn't have this wudu. And therefore if my prayer isn't accepted, that's the first thing that I'm going to be asked on on the day of judgment about. And therefore I'm going to go to hell. It becomes very scary. And so I need to then go back and. this a compulsion is this thing that pushes you, forces you, to do something against your better judgment. And, and what I mean by better, better judgment is oftentimes individuals may know, the people with OCD, that wait a second, this is excessive. This doesn't make sense. Like, other people are able to pray properly, make wudu, we'll do it. They don't can, repeatedly, they can, you know, go back and question them, with them all the time. But yeah, I, I do. do. Yeah, you can rationalize it. You realize that this doesn't make sense but they feel this compulsion. I have to go back. I'm not gonna feel comfortable and I need to be safe and secure. I'd rather be safe than sorry. So then they go back and they make wudu again, but it just opens up in endless possibilities. Once you enable this condition, the larger it gets and it snowballs and you go from making one extra wudu to two to three to four to 15 and making a whistle again, praying your soul again. Some people spend hours Engaged in this process despite the fact that they know this doesn't make any sense and they feel very burdened and overwhelmed by it And so this is kind of what we mean by OCD is that the criterion diagnostically is that you know the compulsions need to last for at least one hour plus um, in order to uh, qualify and It needs to uh, uh, create significant dysfunction you know
0: that's that's very interesting. You know, just just as you were sharing that, I was thinking, um, you know, we're talking about how Islam kind of integrates, you know, in into um, mythology and how religious OCD presents. And I was just wondering, have you come across any particular case studies um, that you can share that can highlight where where does this come from? Because I'm sure a lot of people who are struggling with religious OCD just ask themselves why. Why am I struggling with this? Where does it come from? Yeah,
1: no, this is a really, really important question. So maybe we can just kind of talk about distinguishing normal from abnormal Mm -hmm. uh OCD or waswasa. And this is what I want to talk about as well. Waswasa is whispers that come from the shaitan. Generally we call that waswasa. And um and they do come from the shaitan, so we believe that these are metaph- metaphysical whispers or, or voices uh, that come from the shaitan But they come in and everybody experiences, like every Muslim experiences this to some degree, right? Like the Prophet said, Shaitan uh, Yaji Minabin mentioned it them, right? That shaytan kind of flows in the body of the human being like the blood flow of blood in the bloodstream, right? And so Shaitan is going to whisper, right? And there's a specific Shaitan for prayer and wudu, for example, that's assigned. And so Shaitan will come and make these whispers, but for the average person, they kind of shake it off. They get the feeling and they realize, hmm, this is a whispers of Shaitan, this doesn't make sense, and they don't proceed to repeat the wudu. But there are some individuals who may have a propensity to being slightly more nervous or anxious, and a little bit more, you know, OCD-ish, you know, sometimes you say individuals who are preoccupied with rituals that even pre existed maybe affecting their religiosity, not stepping on cracks and making sure that everything has to be a certain way and checking things over and over again and engaging with false rituals. And for those people who have this propensity, Cheyopan comes and whispers this and then they think, oh no, it's a catastrophe. Mm-hmm. There's truth to this and I need to respond to this. So it's kind so of it's kind extrapolated
0: of, to their religious identity.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and they and, and they magnify it and they respond to it. And the difference between the average person and the person who doesn't experience OCD is that people just general muscles says we all have just kind of shake it off. Like sometimes I tell my patients, I say, The difference between you and I is not that we don't. Um, it's not that I don't have similar thoughts that like you do. And then he said, so one of my questions said to me, you also have intrusive evil thoughts. Wow. And I said, yeah. And he, and then he said, oh, I think I came to the wrong psychologist He's <laughs> <laughs> like, it sounds like you also have some issues. Right. I said, no, everybody has these thoughts, but the difference between you and I is that I'm not afraid of them. Like they just occur as background noise, as Jay was Whereas for you, they're imminent, they're a danger, they're a threat, and so you're afraid of your own thoughts. You're afraid of the thoughts that go through your mind, and that's a fundamental difference. And you're very sensitized to this, and then you respond to it, which creates this kind of vicious, um, vicious cycle. So, it oftentimes people have somewhat of a genetic predisposition, not always may also be environmentally induced like somebody grew up in a very restrictive family mm-hmm. or an abusive family or they may have grown up in an environment that was kind of very conducive to obsessive compulsive kinds of behaviors. Their mom was doing this a lot or an uncle was doing this a lot. It becomes a learned behavior yeah. right? and so it can vary to a degree but oftentimes people have sort of some way of being trained or habituated to respond to distress this way, and that they learn to react through some set of compulsions or rituals to extinguish the anxiety that they feel.
0: And that learning kind of has impacted every facet of their life in some form. So, so, so yeah. it's kind of like a process of unlearning a lot of things that yeah. you've unconsciously picked up. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. That's, I feel like that's a lot of information that can make you feel a bit hopeless. Mm-hmm. So... Let's focus on the hopeful part sure. of the conversation. What are the treatment options? What do people do when they realize, okay, I'm experiencing this. This is a form of scrupulosity.
1: Yeah. What's available for me? Yeah, I mean, well, the good news is we just published this this book, right, by Claritas Publishing House. And so this is a very exciting development in, you know, Muslim mental health literature. Uh, we didn't have stuff like this in the past, and alhamdulillah, now we do. And so we just published this book on waswasa, O C D scrupulosity. And so individuals who I want to say have like subclinical elements of O C D waswasah or can you just define that from yeah, subclinical meaning that it does it's not just, it's not overly dysfunctional, meaning that they can go to work, they can go to school, they can do their homework, they can have, you know, relationships with their family members and in a reasonably healthy way but they just take a really long time making muscle they make a really long time with prayer they may have a tendency to kind of repeat a lot those people in mild you know cases of clinical cd where it takes them some time on an hour or two sub total a day but it doesn't significantly impair their life entirely these people can perhaps go through the workbook and find a lot of benefit that may help curb some of this for them uh, but the most idealist way of doing this is to do it with support. And to do it with ideally a mental health professional who is familiar with OCD and how to work with it, a Muslim mental health professional that knows about the intersection of these two, and can potentially work with the workbook and help use that as an aid to the psychotherapy and counseling process. If that's not available, now it's more and more available, I can do that with the online space, but let's say that's not available for some reason or another to somebody, perhaps a chaplain who works with counseling cases, maybe a skilled and experienced email who has worked with a lot of cases and is familiar with this stuff that you could have him help you walk through the workbook together, for example. So these are kind of ways that individuals can work with this stuff and help um, themselves. Uh, But in severe cases, it really absolutely requires professional help. You're not going to be able to just read the book and get over it, or get some sort of communal support. You absolutely need professional help. And even in some cases, you may need psychiatric assistance as well, especially when it becomes very, very severe, because that's when we get into a very clear biological predisposition or biological element to this that may not be all that responsive to psychotherapy, or you know, sort of learning the appropriate ways of thinking and behaving with regard to OCD. Imagine the compulsion. You feel this compulsion, and the stronger the compulsion, the more you know you need to escalate the levels of professional care that you may need.
0: Yeah. And and so on the back of that I'm just thinking firstly thank you so much for publishing this book for undertaking research in this area and for training um our counselors so all I, most of our IIM counselors now are receiving this training so we can you know be in a better position to help the Omar, um alhamdulillah um just to close finally I would like to um ask for your advice you know and not only advice for people who are struggling with the City, but advice for anyone who is in
1: the position of supporting someone with religious illness? what advice would you have? Yeah so sometimes the you know, somebody supporting or taking care of somebody with mental illness you know we underestimate the impact of and burden of this process for them. This can be very frustrating because you often witness an individual doing very unreasonable or irrational behaviors and you're not able to understand why they just think it's a simple fix. Hey, stop doing that or I'm not going to let you have access to water and whatnot. Sometimes it can create a lot of frustration, fights, person feeling very uh, like not understood, ostracized, and then very much so frustrated on the other end because there might be the wife or the husband of this individual or the mother or the sibling whose life has been made difficult because of this individual as well. They can't go anywhere or they can't leave the house or. You know, they're having to clean up after them and whatnot because of all of the um, issues. You know, a great degree of patience is going to definitely be needed, uh, but sometimes some of their own support and mental health. And, and definitely I would say this, that do not try to treat this as a family member because, you know, people with OCD are not responsive to family members trying to intervene and stop them. In fact, it just generates further relational problems between them and it may further enable the condition of the individual so it's best if Even if they say all the right things, it may not come best from them It may need to really be taken to a, a professional for assistance. So be that
0: kind of supportive hand yeah. in like helping them get the right kind of help that yeah. they need. That's amazing